Good morning, you're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. Lovely to have your company today. Stay with us now as I delve into local current affairs from an informed and curious standpoint. It's Monday the 14th of March. I'm Becca Posterino. Today I explore the model of cooperatives from two different perspectives. Considering the recent interest and consumer shift in supporting locally made products, the success of both the North and South Side markets serve as an example of this. The Food Co-op Canberra is a community model where individual members contribute and enjoy the benefits of the collective approach. Celebrating its 40th year, I met co-manager of the Food Co-op, John O'Crane, to discuss this small but significant business and community cooperative that offers an alternative to the grocery shopping experience. I also met with the principal of O'Connor Cooperative Early Childhood School, Jenny Loudon, to explore the cooperative school model. Founded by a group of parents in the 1970s, the O'Connor Cooperative Early Childhood School offers a collaborative community model. You're listening to Subject ACT 98.3 2XXFM. I'm Becca Posterino. This morning we're talking to Jono Crane, co-manager of the Food Co-op Canberra. Welcome, Jono. Hi, Becca. Nice to be here. Thanks for being here. The Food Co-op is celebrating its 40th year. How and why and by who was it founded? By who it was founded, um, couldn't, I couldn't tell you, but um, if any of the founders are listening to the show right now, please come in to the co-op. It's in a new location that's an old location and come and let us know. But I do know it was founded by um, people, it, ANU students back okay. in 1974 or 1976. Um, and I've heard a couple of different stories. One story is that uh, it was just a group of students that were interested in uh, sourcing nutritious food mm-hmm. and they formed uh, you know what would be called as a buyer's collective and they would order things that they couldn't get in stores uh, in Canberra and they'd actually meet at the train station in Kingston <laughs> uh, um, when the train would come in and they'd, they'd divvy up the, the stuff right there and then on the train platform uh, And, yeah, they eventually were able to kind of secure a premises on the ANU campus Mm -hmm. uh, and basically to to run their operation from there. That's a great story. Uh, Yeah, so, look, it could be contentious. I've definitely heard (laughs) that as a personal account from someone. The other story is, yeah, that there were the students doing that kind of thing. They wanted a premises on the ANU campus and they actually squatted an unused building and set up their operation in there. Uh, and were running it for a couple of years, I think, before the uni really found out or said, what's <laughs> going on here? Uh, and that's that's actually, that was the genesis of the co-op. Mm. Um, it started like that. And, and ever since then, I guess the, the university has tolerated the co-op and, and made a place for it in various fashions. Okay, so the premises that the co-op is now on, that is in conjunction with ANU or do they lease that independently so um it is in a way in conjunction with anu uh they made a deal with the act government to um acquire that land to build student accommodation in the agreement they made uh there was a provision to house the community organizations that were occupying the space under the same terms that they were previously occupying and that was we were occupying the premises rent-free. So they do provide that 
um, for us still. Um, we now have to pay kind of building maintenance fees, which we're currently working out how we're going to do um, because we've had to significantly change our business model to um, to kind of make ends meet in our yes. new premises. Um, but, yeah, so I guess you could say it's in conjunction with ANU because certainly a, a commercial premises in that part of town, normally I think the rent prices would be prohibitive mm. for an operation, not-for-profit operation like sure. ourselves. Sure. That's a really interesting genesis of an organisation or cooperative in this case. So thanks for the, the history lesson for me. Um, so what is a cooperative and how does it work? Okay, you're probably asking the wrong person, but look, I'll just tell you my personal perspective. Uh, and that's, well, first of all, it's member owned. Um, so it's not like a normal business where you have a business owner and employees work for that business to make the business owner money. In a cooperative, all the members of the cooperative uh, have a stake in the ownership. And so the cooperative functions to benefit all the members equally. Mm. Um, so I'd say that's the first principle of a, of a cooperative. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the name itself, uh, it's, it's about people cooperating um, together to, to kind of achieve um, a shared benefit, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. I actually like to think a little bit of the co-op. Uh, it kind of runs like a, a massive group house. Um, <laughs> A group house is a, I could you could say it's a cooperative people sharing a space in order to have an affordable rent um, or a, or a nicer location, and essentially that's what the co-op does. We we um, share a space and work together so that we can uh, eat affordably and quality food. Mm-hmm. So people may view the concept of cooperatives as a good theory, but unrealistic in action. So can you explain how the food co-op has managed to stay afloat following this model for 40 years? Yeah, well, look, uh, there's certainly been ups and downs within the 40 years, and and I don't know the details of all of them, but I know um, several times the co-op has been close to uh, folding. Um, So, sorry, what was the question again? (laughs) So people may view the concept of cooperatives as a good theory, um, but unrealistic in action. So the question is, can you explain how the food co-op has managed to stay afloat following this model for 40 years? Yeah, certainly the food. The only way the food co-op has stayed afloat uh, is through the hard work and dedication of the people involved. Uh, that's, that's the bottom line. Uh, so we've... Um, We've tried to change our business model mm-hmm. um, significantly. And, and when I say words like business model, it sounds mm. really corporate. Uh, and I but would, there has to be a business model. That's not a dirty word, particularly you're, you're running a project and I guess... Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. But I guess myself, I view the operation of the co-op in a way it's, it's a rebellion against some of those mm. uh, corporate philosophies because uh, we're not running a normal business um a guy came in the other day and said well essentially you're like uh jb hi-fi or coles and woolworths you're in the retail trade and it actually really depressed me because i thought (laughs) i'm not well if that's what we're doing i guess i really don't want to be involved um but so i i see what we're doing as essentially different and that's the fundamental aspect of that is 
we're not for profit. Mm-hmm. We're actually, I guess what we're essentially about is feeding people mm-hmm. uh, and doing that in a manner that we hope is a bit more sustainable um, and different to the mm-hmm. normal. So getting back to your question, um, how's the co-op survived over the last 40 years? Uh, like I said, there's been ups and downs. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, it's the kind of bare knuckle dedication uh, a lot of kind of late nights of people working together uh, and and making it happen. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a bit like a family, really, mm-hmm. that, that gets through tough times. Sure. Uh, we really just pull together. And, and in times of crisis, uh, it's really been just dedication and hard work of people to, to get through. Mm. Um, and hopefully now we've, we've moved into this new premises and it's been quite a rocky time because... The biggest change we've experienced there has been the loss of our car parking. Mm. Uh, you know, we were a, a kind of selling food in bulk, I guess, is one of a principle that makes sense to us mm. because, you know, it uses less packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be a more uh, efficient and sustainable way of doing things. Uh, but to do that in a, in a city like Canberra, uh, car parking is a, is a kind of essential mm. element. So um, we used to have uh, dedicated car spaces that people could drive right up to the front of the shop, mm-hmm. load up 20 kilogram bags of flour and drive away. We've lost those now in the new building and it's been, it's been pretty tough to mm-hmm. adapt. And we're only just hoping that we're kind of got a new way of doing things that's uh, enabling us to survive mm-hmm. considering those changes. So how have you adapted to that? key change of car parking that as you say that's a crucial aspect of your community or Mm. um of your cooperative how have you adapted so the one of the first adaption i guess is the flexibility of our members knowing i mean they know that um there's really no other place in canberra where they can find these kinds of foods at the prices we have Mm. them And so they've been very flexible and understanding and they've had to change their kind of ways of doing things. Mm. Even just, you know, working out where you can actually park at what hours that are fairly close to the store, which is not very convenient at Mm. all, but they've managed to kind of uh, modify their schedules Mm. to fit that in and be adaptable. Mm. So that's the first thing. Uh, And I'd say possibly the second major thing is our lunches, which Mm. is something the co-op never used to do. Uh, And so lunches is a thing that the co-op can do in its present premises, uh, that doesn't depend, I guess, on car parking because yes. people that uh, live and work around the area or study can come in and experience the food co-op's food but without needing big transport to carry around, yeah. uh, away large amounts of food. So we the, the lunches operate Monday to Friday starting at midday every day. During the year, they're – well, for – up to this time, we've been running them. It's a $5 lunch for members and students, $7 for non-members. In the summertime now, we're, uh, it's slightly more expensive because we're doing salads. Mm. So $7 for members and students, uh, $9 for non-members, mm. which $9 for an organic lunch in the city is like still a pretty amazing price. Absolutely. Um, so by doing things like the lunches, we also have a cafe that's open uh, where 
we're appealing to a kind of a broader and less mobile yes uh, spectrum of people. Mm. And it sounds like you have adaptable members that are kind of a crucial element to its success as well. Yeah, adaptable even to the level of, um, you know, I don't know if, if the listeners are actually familiar with the co-op and how it works shopping there, but uh, one of our other things is we aim to be have very little packaging. So usually members bring their own jars mm-hmm. and containers and you have to come in and say, if you want some honey, you've got to bring a jar along mm. and fill up the honey from a, on a large um, container. Mm. And even just being adaptable in that, in that regard, saying, mm. okay, I'm not going to have the convenience of just grabbing a jar mm. of honey off the shelf. I'm going to fill it up myself. Mm. And, oh, you know, like it's, it's a bit low, so I'm going to have to like tip the container up a bit or I'm going to have mm. to deal with this. It's not what I normally deal with. They're very adaptable mm. and understanding with that as well. So we're open seven days a week, actually. Mm-hmm. The shop part where you can buy your bulk goods and groceries is open from 10 a.m. till 7 p.m. on weekdays and 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. on weekends. And the cafe is open from 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. on weekdays. So, so on Sundays, that would be a good day to shop because so Watson Street would have free parking. Car parking. Yeah. So uh, weekends are great <laughs> Sorry, time. I live in that area and I'm just thinking yeah, mm, yeah, logistics. No. Weekends are a great time. Um, usually the shop's a bit quieter too, so mm-hmm. you can come yeah. in. And, uh, you know, I have to mention other other issues. That, so uh, not issues, but um, other important uh, considerations. You know, the co-op is a really, <laughs> I'd say benefits. Um, I think it's actually quite a, a family-friendly yeah. uh, atmosphere. So often we actually have a, a thing of toys there for kids to play with. Nice. So families sometimes come in on the weekends to shop and they bring their kids they kind of entertain themselves yeah. in the shop while the parents do the shopping yeah. for the week or for the month it's much more intimate and um yeah much more friendly and mm. personal i think please come along for the lunch uh, monday to friday um you know every day a week and we're not you know we're very <coughs> inclusive the lunch we get a very diverse crowd from public servants in suits to of course university students mm-hmm. and uh there's a lovely mixing of of people that get involved we have also helping out cooking our lunches we have uh, lead uh, volunteers and uh, we've we did a very successful work for the Dole engagement uh, last year so you know we've got a very kind of broad cross-section of people Mm -hmm. uh, experiencing the food at the co-op. Well thank you so much Jono for coming in today it's been a pleasure getting to know the history and also your personal journey into it. No worries Becca thanks for the time. Thanks Jono. You've been listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3 for local current affairs. I'm Becca Postorino. That was Food Co-op Canberra co-manager John O'Crane discussing the not-for-profit grocery collective model. Coming up, Principal of O'Connor Cooperative Early Childhood School, Jenny Loudon. This morning we're talking to O'Connor Cooperative School Principal Jenny Loudon. O'Connor Cooperative School emerged in the 1970s. What makes this school so distinctive from other public schools in the ACT and Australia more broadly? Well, it began as a genuine cooperative school between a group of parents um, and it was originally a neighbourhood children's centre and it was part, started off in the grounds of the ANU and then it became a part of the ACT public system 
as the O'Connor Cooperative School in 1978. And we were the first school that offered early childhood education mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, kindergarten to year six mm-hmm. in the ACT. And then this school was used as the model when the early childhood school model was more widely adopted in 2009. As, as a model for Australia? Well, definitely a model for the ACT. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about a model for Australia. Sure. Yeah. So can you explain the child-centred revolution of the 1970s and 80s and how did this mindset shift in Europe and United States impact education in Australia? Well, I guess child-centred education's been a a driver for for a number of years and children's needs were at the centre of this and parents recognised that, you know, if children's needs can be met, then Mm -hmm. their education is is more fulfilling. So we have a dynamic environment here, I guess, for children and the adults. So it's not only a school for the children, but we're very much a... um, focus on the community and the families are are quite involved. Mm -hmm. In saying that though, you know, we are an ACT government school and we are, um, do operate on the early years learning framework in the Australian curriculum, Um, but families are involved um, and have input into some of the things that happen at our school. Mm -hmm. And as a principal of the school, how does this educational system differ from other public and private school systems? So... Uh, I'm an ACT government education principal, so um, in that sense, you know, we're we're similar in lots of regards, but because we're an early childhood school and we do only have children from preschool to year two, um, that changes a whole lot of things that we can do here. For example, our preschool children are very, are fully, totally integrated into our school. Mm -hmm. Um, In other schools, the preschool is on site, but Mm -hmm. usually in a separate gated area away from the K to six part of the school. So in the early childhood school, and particularly ours, they're... um, all in the one playground, mm-hmm. the classrooms are connected, the, the children have very smooth transitions from preschool to kindergarten because they already know the teachers, they know the buildings, mm-hmm. um, they know the other children in the school and so that just helps mm-hmm. um, the, the young people as they move into kindergarten. Why do you think that um, pre- having preschool on site, you've just explained some of those reasons, mm-hmm. but that transition from perhaps an off-site preschool to kindergarten can be... I guess quite um, emotional, and yes. um, I guess what what makes it so important, or how how do you observe um, why this is such a successful or positive, um, I guess, factor of having preschool integrated? Yeah, well, I think it's it's really successful for the children and for the families as well. Yes. I guess preschool being part time and only fifteen hours a week, um, and the families are here every day, you know, dropping off and picking up. We also do preschool over four days, which I think helps our children um, Mm -hmm. transition to kindergarten for the five-day program very easily. Um, But the main thing is that the children are already confident. They're already, um, as I said, they know the teachers, they know the classroom, they know Mm -hmm. the playground, they know um, the educational practice continues. Mm -hmm. So we we operate on a play-based learning environment in the early years and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, when when I see children going to kindergarten or their first day at big school on TV or in the media or mm. um, different things, and I think, oh, that just doesn't happen for our kids no. because they're already at school yes. and it's just another year of learning for them. So yeah. I, I truly believe that that transition from preschool to kindergarten is very smooth, very easy, very relaxed for the families. You know, I offer tea and tissues and no one needs that because <laughs> seriously, they're, they're comfortable. The yes. children are comfortable and if the children are happy, then the parents are happy and that, yeah. that makes for a lovely lovely transition. Yes. Can you explain the concept of the three C's? Uh, I understand this is central to the cooperative school philosophy, competency, confidence 
and caring? All of those things are, are very important in any education system. Obviously, we want competent children that um, can go out into the world and see themselves as lifelong learners and um, feel confident and capable to go on and you know, make their path in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the caring part is a huge factor. Um, we certainly believe that you know, to have a socially, socially and emotionally stable and um, happy child mm. enables learning. So if they um, they feel cared for, that builds confidence and that builds competence. Mm. So all of those things kind of are very interconnected mm. and um, the caring nature of our school, because we're so small, um, certainly I know every child in the school and every mm. family and I think... The children definitely know all the teachers. The teachers get to know all the children in the playground. They don't necessarily get to teach every child, um, you know, every day or anything Mm. like that. But, you know, the preschool children get to come to assembly, which doesn't happen in most um, P to 6 schools. Mm -hmm. So um, preschool get to host an assembly at various times. And so all of those things make for very valuable connections. We have a very strong um, connection with our community through community singing mm-hmm. um, and through outreach and, and different things. So, yeah, that, that level of care is is one of our priorities and, as I said, builds confidence and that builds competence. And could you... Uh, well, the O'Connor Cooperative School caters for preschool to year two primary school students. Yes. And why is the school designed in this way? So early childhood education is, is just such a crucial part and, and as we've discussed about the transition part as well, we had um, a teacher on staff last year whose child transitioned from another early childhood school into year three and she was just commenting from a parent perspective mm-hmm. how much more ready he was as an eight-year-old to move into that big school environment yes. compared to a four- or five-year-old child. So, you know, from her perspective, that was really um a standout for her mm-hmm. and we certainly see that too. We, we see our children as um, having that opportunity to be leaders in year two. I know I've worked in many P to 6 schools and in high schools before and I would never have dreamt of giving the year two children uh, the opportunities that we can afford them mm-hmm. here just because they are the oldest and we have high expectations and, and yes. they certainly step up to that and, and because we're so small, every child has the opportunity to be a leader in some respect across the school during their time here. So that's very important for them. And could you briefly describe a typical day in the classroom at O'Connor Corporate yeah, sure. School, maybe for a kindergarten student yes, sure. or, or whichever so, age group you'd like? Yeah, well, I'll do kindergarten. So typically um, the children arrive at about 10 to 9 with their family, so a family member has to bring them to school. Mm-hmm. We're a fully gated school, so um, parents have to come into the grounds and wait with the children until the bell rings at 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. A simple but lovely feature, the bell is is a physical bell, <laughs> like it's a big metal bell, and that's rung by the children. Mm. And so that's, you know, an exciting thing. The children come up and ask, can they ring the bell today? And so that's, you know, symbols the start of school. Mm-hmm. So then at 9 o'clock, um, children right across the school from preschool to year two all go in and we have investigations happening for the first hour. So investigations are... Um, a, a range of different activities that are out on the tables and the, the classroom actually speaks to the children. The teacher generally, you know, maybe at the beginning of a fortnight might need to explain some of the things that are out, but generally we like the, the classroom and the um, things that are set up for the children to do to speak to the children. So, you know, if mm-hmm. there's um, 
paper and textures and envelopes and cards and things the children just know, oh, I can write at this table mm-hmm. if there's um, painting or glue or glitter or, um, you know, things to create box construction and tape and, and different things. There's um, building blocks or mm-hmm. there's... Um, so there would probably be up to about eight different things that the children mm-hmm. can choose from and during that time they're encouraged to try lots of different things. There would usually be some sort of reading, some sort of writing, some sort of maths activity, but also a lot of hands-on um, things. Um, so that goes on for an hour. And during that time, three children each day and three different children each day, uh, two of them are the focused children and then we have one reporter. So that means that the teacher is spending individual time with those three children sure. each fortnight and those children then have to report back to the class about what they've done during investigations time mm-hmm. and, and share that learning. Then following that, there's usually um, fruit time where parents have been in earlier in the day and chopped up the fruit mm-hmm. um, and the children can just graze on fruit. Uh, there might be a big book happening at that time and, and some explicit teaching happening and that can Mm -hmm. vary across the classrooms but typically it's probably a literacy activity in the morning Mm -hmm. Um, the teacher would read a big book and whatever the explicit teaching focus might be it might be a Mm -hmm. spelling focus or a writing focus and then there would be um, reading and writing activities happening till recess time which is at 11 Mm -hmm. o'clock all the children are outside for recess and eat together and have the time to play and we also value the time that they're outside because the outdoor learning environment is just as important for mm-hmm. us as the indoor learning environment. So sometimes because we're small, if the play is just happening and it's, you know, things are happening, again, we're ringing a manual bell. So mm-hmm. if we need to go an extra couple of minutes, we can. Um, and, you know, then when the bell rings, they're back into class. Um, often it uh, could be a PE lesson or it could mm-hmm. be science or history. Um, it could be maths. Those things kind of vary according to each teacher in the classroom and mm-hmm. what they're studying that term. Um, and so there's a middle session until 10 to 1. Then we've got shared eating time again. The preschool children would go home at 1 o'clock mm-hmm. and the K to 2 children then have the playground um, to themselves without the preschool children. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon session, again, it would be just one of the other KLA areas and school finishes then at 3 o'clock and parents are back again to pick the children up or they have the option to go to our after-school care program which is held on site. Mm-hmm. And the after-school program, is that also following the same philosophy, um, I guess play-based learning, is is that...? So definitely it's run by the YWCA, so mm-hmm. it really they don't have to have any input from us but mm-hmm. definitely... Um, Vicky, our coordinator, knows that we are a, a play-based learning school and she's definitely focused on the, mm-hmm. the children's interest. Again, has a strong connection with the families and speaks with them about what the children like to do mm-hmm. and, you know, nutritious food um, and, yeah, great activities are set mm-hmm. up for them and they can stay up to 6 o'clock at night. So that's a that's a full day and um, it's, it's quite involved for teachers and also other carers. Mm-hmm. obviously from YWCA and you've got that integration. So what are some of the programs offered at the cooperative school? You mentioned music and PE. What- yep, so we have um, two different types of music. So we've got instrumental music offered by the Instrumental Music Program, which is actually part of the directorate. So we mm-hmm. have an um, itinerant teacher comes in once a week and does instrumental music with the children. And then we have um, a connection with the ANU School of Music, the Music Engagement Program, mm-hmm. where we have Dr Susan West come in and... She um, primarily is teaching the teachers how mm-hmm. to integrate music into everyday learning and and also just teaching us a repertoire of songs and then she comes back for community singing on a Friday afternoon so that's a really significant part of our learning where we all meet together. Mm-hmm. Uh, other connections we have, so we have Mandarin um, from a local Chinese um, 
school, just mm-hmm. here in Turner, they come over and use our space on a Thursday afternoon and offer Mandarin classes for children mm-hmm. um, and the, the YWCA connection. We also have a connection with um, other university partners come in for um, maths in education and science in education and they mm-hmm. come and share their learning with us. And we have the Blue Earth program where uh, Ross Dennis comes in and um, again, it's professional learning for the teachers in class time mm-hmm. where he's running the program, the teachers are learning from him and the children sure. are learning fantastic skills. Mm-hmm. So do you have any events at the co-op school coming up that you'd like to mention? Oh yes, we have our school fate coming up on Saturday the 19th of March and that's Mm -hmm. running between 10am and 2pm, a big community event. It's our one fundraiser for the year and um, yeah, so that that would be great if we can mention that. Of course, Mm. of course. So that's Saturday the 19th of March from 10 till 2 at the school itself. That's right, yes. Great. Well, thank you so much today for taking the time. I know you're busy. It's um, only your first week back. So thank you so much for your time, My Jenny. pleasure. It's always lovely to talk about our beautiful school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Okay, thanks, okay. Becca. Thanks a lot, Jenny. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XFM 98.3. That was Jenny Loudon, Principal of O'Connor Cooperative Early Childhood School, discussing the history, philosophy and collaborative community approach to early education right here in Canberra. Thanks for your company today. Tomorrow, Robert G talks to Will, who originally hailed from Port Arthur, Texas, and who now calls Canberra home. Music from Janice Joplin and talk of her new film to be released later this year. You've been listening to Subject ACT for a community perspective of local current affairs. I'm Becca Postorino for 2XXFM 98.3. Coming up, Community Broadcast Network's All the Best. Enjoy your day.